0: I just finished reading an extraordinary book and as is mostly the case i wanted to share with uh, with you guys for those of you who are watching You will clearly see this in video form. It's called At The Human Edge. It's written by Dr. Marcus Rani. For those of you who are listening, suffice to say it talks about the limits of human physiology and performance. Very pleased to welcome the good doctor in studio. How are you? Hello. And I hope the family and you are safe and healthy. I always ask healthcare professionals, Medicare workers that, you know, because you guys have put yourself and your lives on the line, your family's lives on the line. How's everything going?
1: Everyone is very well. Thank you. We're very grateful. We had our vaccinations last week. So, um, you know, we're we're gearing up to to help keep fighting this pandemic.
0: Doc, at a concept level, this book is quite extraordinary. Hmm. I have never come across a simultaneous storytelling, nonfiction, where you actually talk about summiting, you know, these peaks of human endurance and also talk about human physiology. So at a concept level, when did you first think of this? Did you bounce this idea of somebody or was it just you all the way?
1: I've been very fortunate, Rishi, in that my career has allowed me to zigzag across the The general North Star has always been, how can I achieve the most out of this body and brain and optimize self through that. Very early on in my career, when I was in the Air Force in the UK, I had opportunities to lead expeditions to different parts of the world. And at that point in time, I was also studying at med school. I did a degree in physiology before that. And that's where this love affair with adventure started not from the great outdoors and i I speak about that a little bit in the introduction but it was actually through the physiology books and chemistry textbooks that i suddenly discovered that there's so much that we can learn about our bodies and the magic of it happens when we push it into these various extreme environments so through the years i've had fabulous opportunities to visit various places around the world and work with some incredible human beings, fighter pilots and astronauts and sport athletes, etc. And um, I've tried to bring as much as of that as I can into this book. And the juxtaposition of the inward journey that we take in our cellular biology and physiology and Fitting that against these amazing landscapes, not only on Earth but beyond, was something I was deeply inspired by and I thought it would be great to capture that in this text as well.
0: Do not for a moment think that uh, Dr. Marcus only practices clinical medicine. Now, this is quite remarkable. He holds a Guinness World Record for backwards running. Oh. That's amazing. <laughs> Mo- move over my friend, Milind Soman, who I was just talking to a few days ago, talking about, you know, him and, and his new wife, beautiful lady, both of them running across the hills, backward running.
1: <laughs> Talk to me about that. <laughs> I've loved running for many years. I run in long distances, forwards. I'm a marathon runner as well. And actually, like Milind, I've, I've recently been inspired by him and taken up uh, barefoot running as well. Uh, particularly after I had COVID, I found that to be a very proactive way of strengthening my limbs and, and recovery and rehabilitation. But uh, this is something that I did a few years ago, my wife and I, it's a, something we share. And it's we saw it on social media one day. I love doing quirky things in life, as I'm sure you may have gathered through reading the text. And there was an opportunity that, you know, this message saying, hey, are you interested in getting a Guinness record? And I thought, of course I am, you know, perfect target audience. So I went down one morning, 5am in the city that I live, which is in Mumbai, we went down to Hawaii. And it was the record for the largest group of people to race one another backwards and so the guinness guys were there and we had to do this in 30 minutes it was a distance around 700 meters odd but the real magic the reason why this is so special for me is that on the first attempt that we attempted this i actually had my elder child aiden he was only 14 months old at the time and so i had him in the pram and i was running backwards pulling him in the pram so officially Aiden, at that age of 14 months, is also part of the record books. And um, and so it's something when he's old enough, I can't wait to tell him the story and give him his certificate as well. It's a family moment that we've shared together.
0: That is such a beautiful nugget. I don't believe I've ever heard a real <laughs> life story like that. And big ups to you and the Rane family for <laughs> Thank that. You. Now listen, Thank you. this yes. book is available at all online and on ground stores in India so uh, go get it you know if you fancy going and browsing through bookstores they're all open now you can go and check them out or if you want to just order your online copy uh, there you go and of course there is a worldwide release that's coming up uh, on the first of march if you're watching us from any part of the world on social media you'd like to know that now what we're going to do is we're going to tease them a little bit in terms of going chapter by chapter because i'm a firm believer that if you give too much away then why would people go out and buy the book (laughs) So, the idea is precisely that, and I'm sure you agree with me. Let's start yeah. with Everest. I mean, treacherous, very, very treacherous, but at the same time, extremely spiritual. And yeah. you contrast that with the with the human physiology. Talk me through that chapter, please.
1: I was very lucky. In 2007, um, I led an expedition to Mount Everest. It was the world's largest expedition at the time. I was still a medical student. And what we were fundamentally looking at is what happens to your body when you starve it of oxygen, right? Everyone listening hopefully will remember from their school days that oxygen is central to life. It's how we burn glucose, the fuel, and it what makes uh, ATP, which is the energy in our cells. Now, what people may not appreciate is that as we live at sea level, we are fundamentally living at the depth of an ocean. The ocean is the atmosphere. And so at sea level, that atmospheric pressure that is created by all the air above you drives oxygen into your cells and therefore as you ascend up a mountain the oxygen concentration falls it's why when you go to Leh Ladakh dark or a skiing trip you will notice that you feel short of breath and you have that headache etc acute mountain sickness that i describe in the book so that's what we were fundamentally trying to understand what is it that happens at a cellular level which when you get exposed to this hypoxic low oxygen environment and the impact that it has across all the different body systems so we were a group of a hundred we had three tons of medical equipment with us. Seventeen experiments were conducted on the mountain, including, you know, measuring the function of the heart and the lungs and the brain and the gastrointestinal system, et cetera, immunity. Uh, and things like this. It was a fascinating period of time for me. And of course, to do so on that incredible vista at Everest Base Camp with the entire massive mountain of Nupse and Lotse and and Mount Everest herself in front of you. I mean, these are magical moments. And and I was very young then. Um, I was in my early twenties and to have the opportunity to lead this large international group of people, it, it definitely shaped my career from there on in. So I hope I've tried to capture that in chapter one and the beauty of it is that that I allow you, the reader, to come with me on a journey up to the summit of Mount Everest. And you actually get to experience all the different camps uh, along the way. And then what's happening inside of you. Acute mountain sickness is first. Then as the fluid builds up on your lungs, on your brain, how does your body begin to adapt to that? And the beauty, as with every of the chapters are, is that when you come back, you are a superman, you're a superwoman, you feel like a superhero, and that's because your body has undergone all these amazing adaptive responses that you're just in a much stronger anti-fragile state than where you were beforehand.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, there are amazing nuggets of information, like how some particular camps are really, really tiny and small. Mm -hmm. Others even have some sea fossils, I'd be damned, which talks about, you know, the Big Bang Theory and how these mountains came out, perhaps (coughs) because the tectonic plate shifted and move them up for the rest you've got to read uh, this wonderful book the South Pole you know these sheets of ice Mm. And, uh, you know, really a test of human endurance in every which way. Talk me through that.
1: It's been something that human beings have strived to do, right? It's been a feat of human endurance to get there. And there's so many magical stories that have woven themselves into that particular aspect of who we are as human beings. Fundamentally, it's the cold that I'm describing in this chapter and what happens to you when you expose yourself to those icy sheets along the way. Of course, you get to trek to the South Pole. What do you see as you get there? But we're looking at interesting cellular physiology to do with your nervous system how do your nerves fire and as I was going through this journey, and I got to spend time in the Arctic Circle, so I haven't been to the South Pole, but I spent a month in the uh, Siberian Arctic, um, uh, up in the deep depths of, of, uh, of Russia many, many years ago. And we were investigating what happens to your immune system as you stress the body to these extreme cold environments, measuring cortisol levels. And of course, stress is something which all of us are talking about a lot more because of the pandemic and the lockdown and the effects of that. So I was looking at the physical aspects of that but what we're learning about cold physiology is is actually quite incredible because now in day-to-day medicine let me make this practical for the readers as well if you've got a loved one that's undergoing coronary artery bypass graft or some major form of surgery now often what has become the norm is that we actually therapeutically reduce the temperature of your core because when you reduce the person's physiology the cellular function the need for for energy, for glucose, for oxygen actually reduces itself. And so we found that it is a protective mechanism for the body. So if you're going through major surgery, as I was describing, you will often find that we actually reduce your core temperature to protect your tissues so that less impact, less harm is created. And as I was writing, I was trying to dream further. I thought, okay, what will happen in the next 20, 30 years? And there's a little story in there of a group of, of space astronauts making their way to one of the moons of Saturn and how we might actually utilize cryotherapy and hibernation to maximize human life through that. So that's my love of affair with cold medicine and cold, cold physiology.
0: And I have to say this, that even though he's talking about uh, receptors and other things which are neurological in nature. He really simplifies it. The language of the book is lucid and extremely simple. So you don't have to be a medical professional or even a medical student to kind of soak it in. Marathons, I mean, this is your pet passion. And I like that as opposed to in the Everest chapter, where you're talking about the effect of the body, you know, traveling up vertically here, it's distance and you're actually traversing distance as we go through, go ahead in the chapter. So the marathons chapter, please.
1: Absolutely. You know, the Mumbai marathon, which is Something I've loved participating in for many, many years. It's the largest sports event in Asia. We got so many tens of thousands of runners. And so I thought, as a runner myself, how wonderful would it be to use that as the backdrop? So the reader actually puts themselves in my shoes as I'm about to start running the full 42 kilometer distance of the mumbai marathon and you'll get to see and experience all the major landmarks that we go through as we complete that run but then you take a journey inside what's happening to your heart your cardiovascular system you've got to put your strides fifty thousand times one in front of the other to complete the marathon what's going on in your muscles you know people are familiar with listening about type 1 fibers and type 2 fibers well what are they what do they really mean and how do you train the body to maximize the efficiency so that's the journey of running and and the marathon acts as a i think a wonderful backdrop to to learning about how your body can engage itself in such incredible feats of human endurance
0: you know when i went through the chapter about the red planet and you talk about you know you being a medical student and going into NASA. Mm. I got the feeling that you were like a kid in a candy store.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that an apt way of describing it?
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. I will never forget the morning that I got the phone call from the administrators to say that I had been selected. And you know, I'll put it in context. This is in two thousand and eight. The European Space Agency is about to send the research module, which is called Columbus, onto the. the Attached to the International Space Station. And so there are two European astronauts which are selected for that mission. Uh, Atlantis is the space rocket uh, shuttle that's taking them up. And I had the opportunity to be with them at the launch, monitor them through the period of the mission, and then be back at the runway when the space shuttle came in to land. Now, of course, people now know SpaceX and all the work that they're doing and, and Blue Horizon from Amazon. And these are vertical takeoff and vertical landings. But 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was an aeroplane almost and it actually used to glide in like a brick, break the sound barrier twice and then land on the runway. It was incredible. You know, I've, it just fills me with enthusiasm even talking about it today. And I spent a long time studying human physiology. In fact, my thesis, you know, take it to academic level for a second, my thesis was looking at the effect of zero gravity on the heart and the cardiovascular system. So it's a fascinating subject and I hope to go to one of these planets and satellites uh, in my lifetime, for sure. Well, if
0: Elon Musk had his way, it's gonna happen very soon.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, within the end of the decade, fingers crossed. The
0: desert has always been romanticized, whether in popular culture or our otherwise. One of my favorite songs is a song by Sting and uh, Police, when uh, Sting was lead vocalist to the band Police, where he talks about tea in the Sahara with you. Right. <laughs> and he romanticizes having tea by an oasis in the Sahara, but it's not all that easy. And then you see motion pictures like Lawrence of Arabia, where they talk about, you know, somebody being stranded there trying to walk through the dunes and things like that. And indeed, the Sahara Desert is very, very challenging on the human body. And, you know, you've, gone the other extreme as opposed to the extreme cold of course we know that desert nights can be extremely chilly too but talk to me about the sahara desert chapter please
1: yeah it's an incredible landscape right because you have as you said you've got this difference between daytime and nighttime temperatures which is such a large standard deviation but principally for this chapter i was most interested in in the physiology caused by extreme heat environments and the effect that has on how you modulate and control water in the body the effects and the action that it has on the kidney. And there's a particular story that came to mind through my research, which is this incredible tale of this Italian athlete, Mario Prosperi. And he attempted what is probably the most difficult feat of human endurance on the planet. It's called the Marathon de Sable, and it involves running seven back-to-back, full marathons through the desert, carrying everything you require except your water that's the only thing that the race organizers give you and so i was was charting out his journey and the first time he attempted this there was a huge sandstorm and he got lost and he had to survive for 12 days in the desert including eventually reaching this point where he tried to take his own life but he was unsuccessful and i won't say why i I hope the readers will pick it up and, and read why that was the case but he had then the willpower to survive and It was fascinating to study how he survived, how did his physiology allow him to survive and what we can learn in practical terms so that the next time we find ourselves in those heated environments, we could hopefully imbibe some of those values as well. And, you know, it's very important for us because to take a slightly more existential point of view, and I do a lot of work with the role of the climate crisis and how it impacts our global health through the work I do with the World Economic Forum and the Atlantic Council and what we have to come to the realization is that the global temperature is rising right bill gates is going to be releasing a book in the next uh, day or so about the impact of the climate crisis on our lives and so we have to be conditioned and understand how this is going to affect our lives there is going to be a 1 to 1.5 mean average temperature rise but for most of us in metros that's probably going to be much higher and therefore understanding how this affects our physiology how it changes the types of diseases that we will have to become accustomed to as clinicians and as patients. And what we need to do in our physical environments to counteract those impacts, these are all going to be things, unfortunately, which we're going to have to play out over the next 10, 20 years. And so therefore, this chapter has a particularly important poignancy for each of us in our life.
0: I'm so glad that you you did an entire chapter on the Mariana Trench not just because diving has become such an important fad these days. I mean, you see people of all sizes and statures taking diving courses, certified or otherwise, going to the Maldives, going to the Andamans, deep sea diving and things like that. And we all know that the effect that it has on the human body, deep sea diving. And then, of course, there is the Hollywood of it, which is the shipwreck treasures of ships and, uh, you know, that connection with the Mariana Trench. So talk us through that, please.
1: You know, Rishi, we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the depths of our oceans. It's just an unfortunate uh, thing. But, of course, that's changing. James Cameron had that wonderful documentary where he took and created Challenger Deep, what I write about in the chapter. And he visited the depths of the Mariana Trench and he found life there. He actually brought back samples and we found life in there as well. And so all of this is helping us learn what are the effects of pressure, the depths that exist in the bottom of those trenches and the impact that it has on our lives. Of course, for the adventurists and the extreme athletes amongst us people who love scuba diving i really deep dive pardon the pun i deep dive into what scuba diving does to your physiology some of the common complaints that you may see such as nitrogen narcosis and the bends and how to prevent those and just to give you a flavor in terms of the historic journey Because diving is quite an interesting part of our lives because it actually developed from a military capability and of course we've seen it play out in different cultures around the world and the scuba diving equipment has now translated itself and we utilize the same apparatus for climbing mountains and visiting Mars as what we utilize to actually go scuba diving. So there's some fascinating dots that keep connecting themselves across the chapter, oxygen being one, gravity and pressure being the other. And of course, the very last one of the chapters, which we'll talk about, which is mitochondria and the production of energy as well. Yeah,
0: That's a nice segue into that mitochondria and you, aptly title it the future of man and i leave you to tell us why
1: (laughs) i'm a geek i'm a science geek at heart many years ago when i was still in med school one halloween evening i actually dressed myself up as captain mitochondria because i am fascinated by this tiny organelle let me tell you a little bit about the history mitochondria was actually a separate organism it was a bacterial organism that somewhere Along our progenitor line of human evolution, we decided to engulf and we found so much value from it that we've actually kept it to ourselves. And it exists in every single cell in our body except the red blood cell. It produces energy, it produces that ATP that's required for us to live and do everything we need to do. And apart from that, what we're now coming to the realization from is that its role is central in the development of certain diseases, both physical in nature, like diabetes and cardiovascular diseases including cancers and oncology also mental health diseases and neurodegenerative disorders like alzheimer's and parkinson's but what i find fascinating and for our listeners who are people who like myself like to uh, do intermittent fasting and play around with calorie restriction diets and and other forms of, of fuel consumption the modulation of the mitochondria its ability to adapt evolve become more efficient can potentially unlock the secrets for human longevity. We are now discovering that our lifespan or rather our health span could be as long as 120 to 150 years. And the reason why we have become so accustomed to this three score and 10 as laid out in the Bible and other texts is principally because of how we have been leading lives which are stressing the system, cortisol, sugar, fat, etc. But the mitochondria and the role of the mitochondria could be central towards unlocking the secrets of human longevity. And it's that as a journey. And that's why I even included it in the book, because I felt it just played a beautiful part to the journey as we try and evolve and understand the level of peak performance and optimization. Why not take it one step further? And therefore, the chapter on mitochondria is included as well.
0: And I like the way that it all comes together with finale called Mind Over Matter. You know, my father is now a healthy 77. And, you know, from a very young age, he always said, it's always a question of Mind Over Matter. Not to say that we took that advice very well, (laughs) still struggling with it. But even, you know, the great Mahatma Gandhi always talked about a question of mind over matter and uh, i'd like us to end with that mind over
1: matter this chapter came very late on in fact it was never part. Uh, of pardon, the my, pardon
0: my pardon my interrupting this but it's almost like a bit of life coaching thrown in there <laughs> That's the way I felt when I went through it. Yeah. No,
1: absolutely. It was never going to be part of the original seven chapters, Rishi. And um, as I started to document this journey, and of course, you know, I've been on my own personal journey and quest over the many, many years that I've been doing this. It came to me that the realization is, yes, we try and achieve physical optimization and peak performance. And we're pushing our bodies to all these incredible extreme environments that I spoke about Mm -hmm. in the book. But the central thread that runs through all of us and any of you who are listening, who run marathons or who ski or climb or do a- anything, which you know is, is physically demanding, you will also appreciate that it's what happens inside of that 1.4 kilogram structure in the brain, the 87 billion neurons that come together that form your brain and therefore the manifestation in the mind. That's where the magic happens. And it's what you tell yourself and the stories you tell yourself which makes you who you are. And therefore, I thought that how could any chapter, any book be completed on this topic if it wasn't for this as well? And therefore, I dedicated the final chapter to mind over matter. And some of the tricks that I've learned in how to train the brain to be the best version of itself that it can be.
0: That's wonderful. These are some luminaries who've written the foreword to your novella. Guys, I urge you to read it. At the Human Edge, The Limits of Human Physiology and Performance by Dr. Marcus Rane. It is in all on-ground as well as uh, online stores. A fascinating read, a breezy read, and it will tell you things about yourself and human endurance that you never knew before. So these wonderful luminaries who've aided you in your path to improve our lives.
1: Absolutely. I've been so grateful and and fortunate to have such incredible mentors and people that have supported this project. And I've included some of them in the book chapters, but some of them actually were interested in writing pieces. So there's the famous British explorer, Sir Chris Bonington. And I had to bring him in because of course, he's done such incredible feats, including both the Poles and Everest and across the Himalayas. But he was actually our patron for the Everest expedition that I led in 2007. And so it was a wonderful closing the loop and, and having him there. There's the famous cricketer John T. Rhodes and someone who I grew up in admiration watching on the television screens throwing his body about on all the places of the field. And uh, he at the graceful age of 51 reminded me that he's as fit and as active as he is today as he was then and he's very much into pushing his body and reaching the human edge and the last one of course and, and I'm sorry to
0: interrupt yep. I, I love yep. that John T calls his daughter India
1: yes <laughs> that's, that's beautiful isn't it
0: such an homage yeah. to this wonderful country that he loves he, lo- yeah, he, yeah. he always says it's a second home
1: continue absolutely absolutely and then uh, Dr. Tedros the Director General of the World Health Organization someone that we've each got to listen to and uh, have learned so much of in the incredible incredible leadership that he has shown the world through this pandemic and for him to contribute the afterward and to talk about how this is a clarion call for all of the young generation to step forward as scientists to come forward and hopefully change the world for the better and fix the wrongs that exist i was so grateful for him to make that contribution as well so it's been incredible working with them and have them part of this journey with me as well
0: doc you know probably the primary reason why I do radio is uh, to learn, to soak in and absorb and try to be a good listener when somebody like yourself is talking. And you really added so much value, not only to my life, but also everybody who's listened to and heard this thing. Um, thank you very, very much. And That's very I kind to speak of you. With thank you. Thank you. I hope to speak with you very, very soon. Thank you for this. Thank Bye-bye. You. Thank you, Rish. Bye-bye.